Hello and welcome to Written in Uncertainty, an Elder Scrolls podcast sat firmly in the grey maybe of Tamriel. My name is Aramithius, and this week we're doing our close reading a little bit differently. We're going to be looking at the Five Songs of King Wolfarth book, but it's taken from the Written in Uncertainty stream that I ran recently. So it's a bit rougher around the edges, maybe. There's some chat with stream as it's going on, and there's also quite a bit more background music compared to what you're used to on the podcasts. So be ready for it to be a little bit rougher than usual, and the audio quality isn't going to be quite so refined because I didn't set up my booth, which isolates me from the rest of the world, to record it. All that said, I hope you enjoy, and you can catch me when I actually do these streams at twitch.tv forward slash Aramithius on what is a Friday night for me, typically around 7pm GMT. That works out about 2pm Eastern, I think, for those of you in the US, but and obviously a bit earlier the further west you go. All that said, I hope you enjoy. You've joined me just as we are delving into the five songs of King Wolfarth. So we have the first one, Shaw's Tongue, and this is has no author, so this is possibly a collection of folk tales, or given that it's the five songs and there's kind of a progression that makes me think it's a collection of two of uh, oh it's not really a collection of old tales, it's uh, the work of one particular author. We have the first one, Shaw's Tongue. The first song of King Wolfarth is ancient, circa First Era 500. After the defeat of the Elysian army at Glenumbra Moors, when King Hoag Murkiller was slain, ooh, that puts something that I said earlier to shame. Um, it wasn't Hoag Murkiller that was the um, one of the big um, Nord chiefs of the Nordic Empire. It was someone. It was someone else. But anyway. His thune was so powerful that he could not verbally swear into into the office, and scribes were used to draw up his oaths. Now that's interesting in comparison to the way the thune is presented in Skyrim, or in the Elder Scrolls V in Skyrim, because it's something that's another language altogether. You wouldn't be asked to swear in to the oaths of a Nordic office in the words of the Dragon Tongue. So the thune in this conception at least, is something that's not limited to uh, the dragon language, but quite what it was supposed to be um, is a little debatable. It's possible, maybe, that it's something like the um, the language of the Nords at this point had a bit more of the Eln effects in it, maybe, I don't know, that's, that's purely a fudge on my part to try and work out why, but it's a discrepancy nonetheless. Immediately thereafter, the scribes wrote right. Im, Immediately thereafter, the scribes wrote down the first new law of his reign, a fiery reinstatement of the traditional Nordic pantheon. The edicts were outlawed. That's the Elysian edicts. Their priests put to the stake, and their halls set ablaze. The shadow of King Borgias had ended for a span. For his zealotry, King Wolfarth was called Shaw's Tongue, and Eastmere, Dragon of the North. Uh. 
and e here we have the first title of Eastmere, the, the, um, which is just a title for the most part. It also gets assigned to various people, mostly Wolfarth, throughout um, throughout history, because Wolfarth comes back. <laughs> Kind's son, the second song of King Wolfarth, glorifies his deeds in the old in the eyes of the old gods. He fights the Eastern Orcs and shouts their chief into hell. Possibly that makes their chief Morlock, if I remember my varieties of faith correctly, um, because Morlock is one of the old um, orc chieftains, or actually no, maybe not, because now I think about it, it's Malak and the Dark and the Dunmurray Pantheon that conflate Malakath with the um, with a, an actual mortal orc chieftain, I suppose. He rebuilds the 418th step of High Hrothgar, which had been damaged by a dragon. And the other 699 weren't damaged by the dragons. Um, okay. Um, unless he was just kind of symbolically laying the first slab to a greater reconstruction effort, maybe. When he swallowed a thundercloud to keep his army from catching cold, the Nords called him the Breath of Kind. And that's... Hmm. Yeah, was that the clear sky shout? I don't know. But that gives indications, it was just all fripperies from Skyrim aside, gives some indication that the foom is something more than just shouting. It's, it's verbal stuff and breath and those sorts of wider connotations as well as just yells. Old Knocker. The third song of King Wolfarth tells of his death. Orki, an enemy god, had always tried to ruin the Nords, even in Atmora where he stole their years away. Seeing the strength of King Wolfarth, Orki summoned the ghost of Alduin Time Eater again, which implies he's done it before, which is interesting because it's not mentioned here. Nearly every Nord was eaten down to six years old. Bully Wolfarth pleaded to Shaw, the dead chieftain of the gods. And so in this point in the mythology, Shaw is already dead, having been killed by Alduin at some point, if I remember rightly, to help his people. Shaw's own ghost then fought the Time Eater on the spirit plane, as he did at the beginning of time, and he won. And Orky's folk, the orcs, were ruined. As boy Wolfarth watched the battle in the sky, he learned a new theme. What happens when you shake the dragon just so? Was that a precursor to Dragonrend, I wonder? But he used this new magic to change his people back to normal. So no, it really wasn't. It was something that was much wider than the Thum that we have in Skyrim. In his haste to save so many though, he shook too many years out on himself. He grew older than the Greybeards and died. The flames of his pyre were said to have reached the hearth of Kine itself. And that gives us a picture about the overall structure of this book, the way those words are used, because we have older than the Greybeards here, which says that the Greybeards were a thing at this point, whereas at the time of Wolfarth, the Greybeards and uh, who are who was their founder, Jürgen Windcaller, um, was not really a thing. Um, the tongues of Skyrim were. Um, were a thing at this point, and so 
this is obviously the whoever's compiled all these talking about um or whoever wrote the original song if grew Oldham the Greybeards is in the original song these are just paraphrases of what's going on and being talked about not the songs themselves if that's been put in there into the original songs then the songs are quite obviously written quite a way after the events the ash king the fourth song of king wolfarth tells of his rebirth the dwarves and devils of the eastern kingdoms had started to fight again and the devils of the eastern kingdoms being the kaima um, and the nords hoped they might reclaim their ancient holdings because of it so this is after the war of succession this is setting up the scene sometime between uh, the year 417 and the year 400, um, 700 of the first era. They planned an attack but then gave up knowing that they had no strong king to lead them. Then who, then in walked the devil of Dagoth who swore he came in peace. So it's someone from the house of Dagoth generally taken to be um, to be Vorin Dagoth, I think, anyway. Moreover, he told the Nords a wondrous thing. He knew where the heart of Shaw was. Long ago, the chief of the gods had been killed by elven giants. Oh, so it's... Oh, uh, so it's not by... By Alduin. Sorry, I misspoke earlier. And they ripped out Shaw's heart and used it as a standard to strike fear into the Nords. This worked until Isgrimor shouted some sense and the Nords fought back again. So, they're conflating Isgrimor, who was around at some point in the Morithic era, with the Elnafe Wars in the Dawn era. This is some quite some impressive smashing together and attributing of legends here. Uh, knowing that they were going to lose eventually, the elven giants hid the heart of Shaw so that the Nords might never have their god back. Now that's kind of interesting um, because it talks about an inevitability of something about the structure of the Kalper to me and given that if we take Shore Son of Shore at its word, the Nords are one of a few cultures in Tamriel that actually present um, the Kalpic cycle as the Kalpic cycle, more or less. And so you can see the expression of the Kalpers there. Um, but here was the Devil Dagoth with good news. The dwarves and the devils of the Eastern Kingdom had his heart, and this was the reason for their recent unrest. Yes, this is talking about the point where um, Nerevar finds out about the heart of Lorcan and goes and confronts Dumak and the war happens. This is the War of the First Council. So this is happening at some point either between the year 688 and 700 of the First Era or thereabouts. The Norse asked the devil of Dagoth why he might betray his country Merso, and he said that the devils have betrayed each other since the beginning of time, and this was so, so the Norse believed him. Yeah, the Chimera and the Dwemer were always, always squabbling. And I've just realised I haven't talked about the Elven Giants properly yet. It's the Elven Giants and the way that they're talked about, makes, and the way that you hear some speculation about what the giants are in Skyrim 
it's possible that the Elven Giants is a way of talking about the old Elmafei and all that, that entails because of um, how people, well, it's not really confirmed anywhere that the Elnafei were big as such, but but there's feeling among the community that they were larger in stature, and some of Michael Kirkbride's artwork certainly implies that. Hmm. The tongues sung Shaw's ghost into the world again. Shaw gathered his ar an army as he did of old and then sucked in the long-strewn ashes of King Wolfarth and remade him, for he needed a good general. But the Devil of Dagoth petitioned to be that general too, and he pointed out his role as the blessed harbinger of this holy war. So Shaw had two generals, never a good idea, the Ash King and the Devil of Dagoth, and he marched on the Eastern Kingdoms with all the sons of Skyrim. So we have a reason for the Nords to rock up to the Battle of Red Mountain here. Red Mountain. The fifth song of King Wolfarth is sad. And the one that was about his death clearly wasn't sad. Because Nords think of people dying in battle as a good thing. So. Although no, it's kind of a tragedy I suppose because... Um, he gave himself too many years and died, so it wasn't an honourable death in battle. But somehow that wasn't sad. Eh, pass. The survivors of the disaster came back under a red sky and noticed that no one talks about what happened at Red Mountain here. It's, well, not at the start anyway, but right at the start, this is, this is a tragedy, this is bad, this is wrong, this is setting the tone for how the Nords see the Battle of Red Mountain as a whole. That year is called Sun, the Sun's Death. Which is also to do with the eruption of Red Mountain that happened after the battle. So that's what that is. It's a big phenomenon which impacted quite a bit of Tamriel, which is another possibly more natural reason as to why everyone, or why most cultures in Tamriel, rather than everyone, has some sort of Red Mountain story. The Devil of Dagoth had tricked the Nords, for the heart of Shaw was not in the Eastern Kingdoms, and had never been there at all. As soon as Shaw's army had got to Red Mountain, all the devils and dwarfs fell upon them. Their sorcerers lifted up the mountain and threw it onto Shaw, trapping him underneath Red Mountain until the end of time. Is that a metaphor for what the Dwemer have done to the heart? I don't know what else to make of that, but there is a bit later on in this that makes me think that it can't be that because there's already changes that happen to the heart later on and it's very explicitly changes that happen to the heart later on so what trapping shore under red mountain means i don't know it's also possibly a retelling or recasting of convention as such and and telling of Lorcan's punishment in creating the mortal world because you have people convening at the um, at the Adamantine Tower. Here you've got Lorcan being involved and in his mortality restated at the Red Tower. I don't think it happens anywhere else particularly, but those are the two 
definitely Adric Towers being associated with Lorcan, um, being used to punish Lorcan in some way. They slaughtered the sons of Skyrim, but not before King Wolfarth killed King Dumalakath, the Dwarf Orc, and doomed his people. And that title, King Dumalakath, the Dwarf Orc, has been responsible for quite a bit of digging on behalf of one of the old posters on the Bethesda forums. I think his name was Turok or Tuvark, something like that. But he did a lot of digging and a, quite a bit of squinting and some very, very fun, fun theory crafting um, to basically make it look like the Dwemer disappeared or the Dwemer didn't disappear, but that the Dwemer became the Orcs. You have to disregard a hell of a lot of um, of things about um, the accepted history and other sources in order to make it really work on the weight of not an awful lot, in my opinion. But it's a fun thing to try and imagine nonetheless, because quite how they would have been bent back into shape and been involved with... Um, oh, they do have that involvement with the Kaima, though. That is kind of interesting. Now I think about it, because the Orcs became the Orcs in the Orthodox Tale at the time of the Chimeri Exodus. So, is it possible that um, we're talking about something a bit more mythical in terms of the Chimer having an effect on the Dwemer the long, in the long term and transforming them into something else? That's another way you can spin it, I suppose. But... Um, I don't honestly know what else I can make. What else I can make of that one? If you do want, because I can't remember too much of the theory itself. If you do want to check out that theory, I'm sure I've linked it on Written in Uncertainty's website. If you go to writteninuncertainty.com and have a look at the Law Essays and Resources page, uh, I think it's linked in there because I dug it up. And it got, also got restated recently on Reddit. I say, I say recently. Recently as in about four years ago. Um, so, yes, go and find that if you're interested in working out that particular theory. Then Vec the Devil blasted the Ash King into hell and it was over. Later, Kain lifted the ashes of the Ashes of Izmir into the sky, saving him from hell and showing her sons the colour of blood when it is brought by betrayal. And here we get a theme which we will pick up when we find the Octurian Heresy. This, the colour of betrayal. And the Nords will never trust another devil again. And exactly what a devil is in this one, I think, myrrh. But that one's fairly self-explanatory. The secret song of Wolfarth Ashking. The truth at Red Mountain. The heart of Shore was in Resdane, as Dagoth Ur had promised. And yes, it is Vorin Dagoth. I'd forgotten he got named explicitly here. But we've got the Devil Dagoth as the head of House Dagoth, possibly. Um, as Shaw's army approached the westernmost bank of the Inner Sea, they stared across at Red Mountain, where the Dwemeri armies had gathered. News from the scouts reported that the Chimeri forces had just left Narsis, and they were taking their time joining their cousins against the Nords. They've gone one hell of a way, actually, if they found Narsis, because Narsis is on the... Ah, uh, hang on, the westernmost bank of the Inner Sea. Uh, 
Yes. Because Skyrim is to the w is to the west of Morrowind, so yes, they're all they are coming from the right direction for Narsus to be close by. Sorry, I for some reason thought Skyrim was to the east of Morrowind, um, which I'm pretty certain it's not, um, and that they were taking their time joining their cousins against the Nords. Dagoth Ur said that the tribunal had betrayed their king's trust, that they sent forth Dagoth Ur to Lorcan. For that's what they called Shore in Resdane, so that the god might wreak vengeance on the dwarves for their hubris. Uh huh. Hang on, the tribe. Dagoth Ur said that the tribunal had betrayed their king's trust. So, ah! That puts an interesting spin on the chronology of Red Mountain, because. The tribunal had betrayed the king, their king's trust, so the tribunal had betrayed Nerevar at this point. Um, so, are we talking this point after Nerevar's death? Um, because does that mean that that Dagoth Ur is supposed to have somehow come away from the Red Mountain after that, and then warned the Nords and brought them back? And oh, oh it's messy, very, very messy. Um, yeah, for that is why they, what they called Shore in Resdane, so that the god might wreak vengeance on the dwarves for their hubris, that Nerevar's peace with the Dwemer would be the ruin of the Lothi Way. This was the reason for the slow muster, Dagoth Ur said. Slow muster? Oh, I don't know. Uh, the chronology for this is starting to bug me, and I do remember hearing somewhere uh, on Reddit um, that this is one of the most demonstrably false accounts for how um, for the Battle of Red Mountain and other parts of the mythology as well because it just doesn't link up with so much. It has some really really interesting symbolism but as reliable history nah, it's not going there. The armies grow and Lorcan, for that's what they called Shore in Resdane and they need to say it twice which is weird now I think about it because this is a paraphrasing and a filtering of the songs. This isn't the songs themselves. So while I would expect her for that's what they called Shore in Resdane, or and that's Shore's name in Resdane, or something like that, to be reiterated whenever you get the mention of Lorcan in the song itself, why they need to repeat it in this commentary, I have no idea. Uh, and, and Lorcan said, I do not wreak vengeance on the dwarves for the reasons that the tribunal might believe that I do. Nevertheless, it is true that they will die by my hand and any who should side with them. And that gives rise to one of the theories about um, the disappearance of the dwarves. That the Dwemer struck the heart of Lorcan and are being punished by Lorcan because they unleashed Lorcan's power and he could deal with them as he saw fit or something like that. I think that's the only evidence for that particular theory, so it's not one that I said a huge amount of stock in, that they've been somewhat sort of trapped in the heart or something, and being punished by Lorcan. This Nerevar is the son of Boethia, one of the strongest Padmaics. He is a hero to his people despite his tribunal, and he shall muster enough that this battle will be harder going still. 
Okay, and why we've got Lokan being against Boethia, being against one of the strongest Padmeics, is kind of interesting because um, Padme is the father of Sithis, and Sithis is the father of Lokan. So why they um, why they are against each other in this, I have no real idea. But yeah. Let's 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 run with it. If if we can assume that the Nords are being naughty and nationalistic, then that's possibly reason enough because this is Shaw proclaiming what's going on and saying that Shaw is the ultimate answer rather than Lorcan, that Lorcan is an inferior copy of Shaw. We will need more than what we have. And so Dagoth Ur, who wanted the dwarves as dead as the tribunal did, went to um went to Kogoran which sounds very like Kogrun, which is the old capital of House Dagoth, and summoned his House Chapthiel, his, his Nyxhounds, his Wizards, Archers, his Stolen Men of Brass. So there's some tinkering with Dwemer stuff going on here, that Vorin Dagoth has been studying the Dwemer and taking their technology. And the Ash King, Wolfarth, Hori Ismir, went and made peace with the orcs in spite of his Nordic blood, and they brought many warriors, but no wizards at all. Okay, so this is a huge, great, long mustering that's happening here. I just need a little bit more context here um, for quite what this is. Hang on a second. Um, there's a big mustering, and they did various things at Narciss, and so on, but... Uh, I don't know, I'm going to leave that one for now. Um, many Nords could not bring themselves to ally with their traditional enemies, even in the face of Red Mountain. And this is clearly something that's important to the Nords in that case, because even in the face of Red Mountain, that says that they should understand what it is. Mm. They were close to desertion. Then Wolfarth said, Don't you see where you really are? Don't you know who Shaw really is? Don't you know what this war is? And they looked from the king to the gods to the devils and orcs, and some knew, really knew, and they are the ones that stayed. And this, that line, is one of the bigger reasons for thinking that the Battle of Red Mountain is an actual dragon break. We are going back to the dawn here. Because if we're going back to the Dawn era and everything that happens around there, the Elnafay War isn't far off. So, if you're thinking about you know, knowing who Shaw really is, you go back to all the stuff about Lorcan and the things that he's trying to achieve, thinking about, well, is he trying to do um, to make everyone realise that they're part of something, that, something that's a dream, that the true structure of the... Arabis is an eye and trying to move beyond it maybe and I'm not going to go into all that here right this second but the idea that Lorcan created Mundus for a purpose and that purpose being to transcend mortality and godhood and the universe altogether in brief and so fighting that sort of a war and for that sort of a cause is possibly what's being said here if this is happening in Dragon Break that is the Battle of Red Mountain and the doom drum Nerevar carried keening a dagger made of the sound of the shadow of the moons ooh that's an interesting piece of 
of a uh, piece of sh um, foreshadowing there. If we think about how the moons are presented in the Elder Scrolls Online, the um, Lorcage's moon is a third moon. It's not Joan or Jode, but it's something that's in the middle and it's dark. It's something that corrupts Khajiit and is presumably in the shadows. So a dagger made from the sound of the shadow of the moons connects Keening quite explicitly to Lokan as well. His champions were Dumak Dwarf King, who carried a hammer of divine mass, and Alandro Sul, who was the immortal son of Azura and wore the wraith mail. And there we have a metaphorical outline of the tools of Kagranak. We have Nerevar wielding Keening, which is a little weird because Nerevar and Kagranak didn't get on as far as we know, but we've also got the Hammer of Divine Mass, Sunder is a hammer, and Alandru Sul wearing, a wraith, wearing the Wraith Mail. A mail is a protective thing, and the Wraith Mail, Wraith that protects, Wraith, wraith that guards, Wraith Guard, yeah, you've got all three of Kagranak's tools here in some metaphorical spiritual form. They met Lokan at the last Battle of Red Mountain. So was there a first Battle of Red Mountain or a second? I... Bleh. If you believe the, um, the various things at the steps of High Hrothgar, then there has possibly been a Battle of Red Mountain already when the Nordic Empire was broken up during the, um, during the War of Succession. But not something that there's much other evidence for, I admit. Um, Lorcan had his heart again, but we had, but he had long been from it, and he needed time. Well, yeah, you need to finish off the surgery and get it all properly reconnected up and everything, I suppose. Wolfarth met Sul, but could not strike him, and he fell from grievous wounds, but not before sh shouting Sul blind. And Alandro Sul, being a witness, being a blinded witness, puts him in the position of the observer of an enantiomorph somewhere. That's something that uh, will be potentially quite important when we get to talking about the death of Nerevar and the tribunal and so on, but not just yet. And Dagoth Ur met Dumak and slew him but not before Sunder struck his lord's heart. And Sunder comes out of nowhere. Um, well, actually, that's confirmation, because Dumak is a hammer of divine mass, so Dumak being, and then Sunder striking, and the hammer of divine mass is definitely Sunder on this account. Nerevar turned away from Lorcan and struck down Dagoth Ur in a rage, but he took a mortal wound from Lorcan in turn. But Nerevar feigned the death that was coming early, and so struck Lorcan with surprise on his side. The heart had been made solid by Sunder's tuning blow, and Keening could now cut it out. So, Sunder's tuning blow. Oh, Sunder struck his lord's heart. Oh, brain. Um, yep, that that all that all links up quite nicely. So everyone's working together and. And and de and deal and performing tonal architecture on the heart with the tools of Kagranak in some way. That's my reading of that here. And 
the heart being made solid by Sunder's tuning blow and now being cut out, that also implies something for the structure of the heart of Lorcan and things like the Dwemer enchantments on the heart being broken. You, um, to spoil ahead to the end of the game, when you strike the heart of Lorcan, and when we will, we're going to do the main quest here, and we're going to be talking as though everyone knows what it's about, I'm afraid. Um, when that's done, then the heart disappears. But the documents that you read that are the plans for the attack on Deglathur imply that you're just breaking the Dwarven enchantments, and also you have the count in the monomyth that says that the gods could not destroy the heart of Lorcan. But if if this is saying that the heart has been made solid by the tools of Lorcan, it is entirely possible that it could be destroyed, I think. Because its nature has been altered by the tools in some way. And it was cut out, and Lorcan was defeated, and the whole ordeal was thought over. But it wasn't, and that's a whole part of the main plot of this game. And something else that, and another book that I'm sure we're going to find either here or in somewhere else. And yeah, that is the five songs of King Wolfarth, people. I hope you enjoyed. You've been listening to Written in Uncertainty, a podcast written and presented by Aramethius. The music for this podcast has been written by Jan Glembotsky and was part of the soundtrack for The Elder Scrolls 3. Check out Jan's work on SoundCloud under Songs from the Lost Land, and I'll see you next time. I'm Bob. And I'm Brad. We're lifelong friends. And the hosts of the Film and Whiskey podcast. This is the show where each week we review a classic movie and a glass of whiskey. That's right. Every week we go in-depth on a well-known movie while sampling the best from the world of scotch, bourbon, and more. Because nothing goes better with strong opinion than equally strong liquor. Bob's a movie nerd. Brad's an average Joe. But together, we give fresh insights and hot takes on the world of movies and spirits. So check out the Film and Whiskey Podcast. Part of the Robots Radio Network. Do you like adventure? Yeah. Do you like laughing? Uh, yeah. Would you like to listen to a group of people you don't know play D&D and reference retro pop culture you vaguely remember? Um... Excellent. You're going to love Committee Quest. We play D&D in the world of Ameren. We use adventure modules and supplements made by people in the community. We also have a sweet synthwave backing track. Come and join us on our adventure. Volume 1 has been completed. Volume 2 coming the end of January. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey friends, this is Robots, the creator of the Robots Radio Podcast Network and host of the two original shows on the network, the Fallout Lorecast and the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. These two shows have rocketed up the iTunes charts. They both together have over 155 star reviews in only a couple of months with bite-sized episodes that take you step-by-step through the background of the games in the game worlds. They're thought-provoking, well-produced, and a lot of fun. I recommend you go check them out at robotsradio.net or on any podcast reader, 
podcatcher, whatever you use, iTunes, Spotify. Again, that's the Fallout Lorecast and the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, available everywhere.